Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builders Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about how to scale your business without selling your soul. We'll do that with Sean Johal. Now, Sean was co-founded Dolls Lighting. It was an LED lighting company in, the, in, in 1999. And then he implemented the scaling up growth system and led the company to 3x its revenue and grow well into eight figures. Then he went on to found Elevation, a scaling up coaching firm where he works with entrepreneurs and their teams to help accelerate their growth while helping them find personal balance, and happiness. He's a certified scaling up coach and the author of The Happy Leader, which is a leadership fable about transformation in business and in life. He provides a happiness roadmap for his readers and for his clients, teaching them how to both achieve happiness and success in business and in life. He's former president of EO Montreal, that's Entrepreneurs Organization. Sean remains an active member and a mentor to numerous young entrepreneurs in that organization. He's helped them improve as business leaders and as individuals. He was a finalist for the EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Sean is also board chair for Champions for Life, which is a nonprofit foundation helping children develop their, their physical literacy. Sean, it is fantastic to have you here, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. My God, when you read that whole thing, it sounds like I put all kinds of crazy stuff in there. <laughs> Appreciate you taking the time. I enjoy it. I, 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 you and I have talked in the past, so I know some of that, and I love every bit of it. Now, today, we're going to talk about, Sean, who do you serve? Well, you know, when we look at the lighting business, we really serve a B2B market. So for us, what's really important are all those big box stores you see out there and lighting showrooms, distributors, and then by way of those amazing clients, then we end up getting to the end user. It's quite an interesting discussion, as you know, being in business, you know, a lot of companies that do what we do sometimes bypass the middleman and like to go direct to the end consumer. We never chose to go that route because we had such amazing partners that we said, you know what, let's stick to being a B2B business. But at the end of the day, we end up speaking to so many consumers because they like to call us directly and talk about our products. But mainly, we know who we work with are mostly those B2B partners. Now, your other business has a slightly different audience. Yeah, the Elevation Coaching business is where we're helping small to medium-sized businesses, businesses between five and 100 million, really take the scaling up journey. And our goal essentially is to help these entrepreneurs 10x their business. And I think you know this about scaling up, Bill. It's very industry agnostic. So it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. You know, we have clients that are in construction and SaaS and food and, you know, all kinds of different industries that all come together. But there's not one specific industry that we focus on as a niche. So you can really have any type of business and apply a scaling up methodology. Yeah, so our listeners are, are, are wondering how you have the time to deal with those two different kinds of businesses. And so they're going to find out that you're not exactly a bored guy, but it's going to be interesting as we go through this. So tell us about the problems you solve. So the problems of the customers, both the end consumer and your partners in the lighting industry, and then also in the coaches. So do both. Keep us, keep our minds 
straight as you go through each of these two problems? Yeah, absolutely. So from a lighting perspective, you know, LED, what people don't realize that LED has been around for a very, very long time, but it has not been commercialized, if you want to look at it that way, until, you know, the last five to seven years. That's when LED lighting has really taken over so much so that you can almost not even find anymore an incandescent uh, light source as you go along. The problem that a lot of the clients are facing is that LEDs are very inconsistent. So you have all kinds of stuff coming from all over the world and you have what we call color temperatures, which are very, very difficult to match. And especially when you want to match it to your old type of lighting, people really struggle. You know, they often come back and they feel it's too white as a light, feels too commercial in their homes, doesn't bring that warmth and that glow the way halogen lighting used to do. So we've really worked very hard to create a line of products that seamlessly integrates into people's homes. We don't sell any type of bulbs. We really sell fully integrated lighting fixtures that have the LED already integrated into the product itself. And I think by doing it that way with color temperatures that are really made for residential lighting, really close to what halogen used to be, we're letting people have that same experience as they used to have, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that a lot of them sorely miss. So that's really on the, on the lighting side. On the coaching side, you know, completely different. On the coaching side, what happens is most of our clients, they've hit a wall of some type. You know, their business has started growing and then they either don't have the right people in the right seats or they have the wrong processes and nothing's flowing. The execution is very challenging. And normally we'll come in there with a diagnostic and we'll really help them figure out what is your number one biggest problem? You know, is it people, is it strategy, is it execution or is it cash? And once we've pinpointed that part of it, we'll start implementing the methodology to help them grow the right way. Okay, fantastic. So uh, so talk us through how you typically solve the problem that you just described. And maybe maybe with the coaching, you might tell us a case study, but starting with the lighting business that you've run here for, gee, it's getting on what, 14, 15 years getting in that yeah. space, huh? So yeah. so talk about how the you know, how you went about creating this residential temperature solution and uh, and why that why that even matters to people absolutely yeah it's it's way more challenging than people come to realize you know when i think this is normal for you know consumers entrepreneurs who are listening to your show will understand it you know everything seems so easy once you go pick it up from the shelf at a store right it's like oh this thing is is working perfectly but the reality is that most end users and most customers were not willing to even try LED because of literally how blue the light was, how unfriendly, unwarm it was, unwelcoming. And people don't want that in their homes. You know, if it's in your garage, fine, or maybe in your backyard. But when you're coming into your kitchen, you're coming into your living room, you know, no one wants to come into this weird, dark atmosphere that's very, you know, uncomfortable for most people to, to be living in. So for us, what we really had to do coming up with this process, number one, is that we're very far from being a distributor. We really consider ourselves to be a manufacturer. And what we do as a manufacturer is, number one, we get all of our own patents, get all of our own certifications, we build all of our own tooling, and we create all of our own designs from scratch. So we're not just going you know, overseas or anywhere and picking off something off the shelf. We're really the ones that are going out there doing the market research, understanding what clients are looking for, and then building products to make sure we suit their needs. The other big thing that we do, Bill, on the lighting side, which I think is, is a big differentiator, which I know is something we'll, we'll probably get more into, but for us is that we really, really like to focus specifically on taking integration of products that are too complicated and making them easy for consumers to use. 
So we call ourselves an actual term that we use internally at our business as early integrators. So we actually don't want to be first to market. Okay? We don't want to be first to market because we've noticed that first to market usually screws up. They come in here and they have all kinds of weird products that don't work. No one understands why they're made that way. They usually have a lot of glitches. They're like MVPs. And we'll take those MVPs and we'll take that initial technology and we'll make it work really, really well for the end user. We'll package it for them so that it becomes something that's very easy for a consumer to go and buy. Now, Sean, you used an acronym them there. So circle back and, and tell some of our listeners what P stands for. Yeah. So an MVP is what we call a minimum viable product. It's not like in basketball, you know, LeBron James, the, the MVP. He's not a minimum viable product. He's, he's a lot more than that. But a minimum viable product is really, you come up with a product, you say to yourself, we're going to test this in the market. We know it has glitches. We know it has problems. We know it's not perfect. But you know what? We need to know if the market even cares for this product before we spend more time and money investing in it. The problem with that strategy is that you are going to spend a lot of time, money, and resources to get that MVP out and there. Burn a bunch, no and burn what. a bunch of bridges. And burn a bunch of bridges and get people really pissed off. So we said, let's just avoid that whole thing. Yeah. And let's take something that we know consumers want, but that's not readily available to them the right way and take it. And now let's make it better. So we're really taking a an initial product that doesn't work that well, but we know people want, and then we turn it into this, this wonderful, you know, well-oiled machine. Gorgeous. So give us a case study of a typical coaching client of yours. Yeah. So a case study, you know, I, I won't mention, you know, specific names that I'm not sure how happy they'd be with that, but, you know, imagine getting into a business and they say to themselves, okay, we want to have profitable growth. Okay. This is something that I love to talk a lot about. We did profitable growth in our LED lighting business using scaling up. And we cared mostly about bringing clients profitable growth. And we'll always have a few clients that are just growing for the sake of growing, public companies that are really just buying market share. But where we really like to focus our time is on clients that are looking for profitable growth. So you'll get into a business that does not have profitable growth, because obviously if they're calling you, they need to figure out how the heck to do it. And the number one thing that I'm noticing when we get into these businesses is, is the people. Okay. And, and you know, I want to be very careful and respectful how we say it, but the majority of the time, it's the wrong people around the table. So, you know, for example, getting to a client that, that we work with, really wonderful people. You start looking at their strategic team and within seven to 10 minutes, I'm not even talking hours, months, years, in about a few minutes, you can quickly identify, you know, three out of seven people that shouldn't be around the table. And you can imagine, Bill, how detrimental it is to a business when a VP sales or a VP ops or a VP of talent is the wrong person. You know, the disruption costs, the opportunity costs, everything that's being lost in that business is tremendous. So, you know, so one of these clients, for example, over approximately 12 months, we ended up changing approximately 50% of their team. So they had about 50 employees, we changed about 25 out of their 50 employees over a year, which sounds dramatic, and it was, but it was filled with people that were killing the culture and the values of the business. And just by doing that in the first 12 months had tremendous results you were basically starting a new business from scratch because when you have that many new people starting, you have to redo your processes. You have to completely, you know, refocus how you do employee integration, right? You can't just be integrating, you know, half your staff and not getting them integrated the right way. So it really forced us to think differently. And they've been really, you know, on a great successful path ever since. So uh, tell us specifically, Sean, how your two companies diff excel blow away the competition absolutely so when we were talking about the lighting business there's a there's a, a few key factors that that i'd say come into play number one 
by far is that we've built a world-class culture and it's a culture of accountability. So this is a huge differentiator in this day and age. I don't know how often you've been getting out there, Bill, but service has disappeared as far as I'm concerned. You know, you go to places, you're getting automated people that are, that are on the phones. You go, you know, last time I went to a grocery store, no one's looking at me, people at the cash, no one's really giving me any type of service. And I'm seeing this happen more and more and more. And we're blaming the global labor shortage, which I think is a horrible excuse. I think there's no excuse that would accept not treating clients like gold. I mean, they're the ones that are paying your bills and the reason you're in business. So we've really created this incredible culture. Our why, our reason for existing is actually create a wow. It's just the wow factor in everything we do. So we teach our people internally in every single interaction, whether you're speaking to someone on the phone, whether you're even calling someone to collect money, we want those people to hang up and say, wow, what a great experience that was for us. And so by really pushing through this wow idea and this wow experience, it's been a massive differentiator for us. Honestly, it's been huge and in our industry, which you know is, is quite a niche industry. Not that many people have known about the lighting industry or about our company, but any of our you know, customers and suppliers that you would talk to would tell you, this is a company that I love dealing with. You know, We just love working with this company because we know they're always going to be there taking care of us and going the extra mile. So I'd say that's probably our biggest differentiator on that end. The coaching is very different. The coaching is very different because as an entrepreneur, I implemented with my business partner, we implemented together the scaling up methodology. And so we are a case study for our own clients. You know, I get to go see my clients and explain to them, hey, by the way, you're not just getting any regular, you know, company helping you here. We've actually done it. We've actually 10x our business over the last, you know, seven to eight years using this exact methodology and we're going to come and show you how to do it. And actually, you I would say you're actually doing it in addition to done it. You're doing it simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. It's like in, in parallel, real time, we're doing it. And here's the case studies. Here's the stories. Here's what we've done. And just by showing them the actual examples of what and how we did it is a massive differentiator because we're not just coming into there as an academic certified coach. You know, not to take anything away from that, but there are a bunch of coaches that you know have just studied the book or gone certified haven't actually been entrepreneurs who've put it in place, it could be intimidating for some for, for some company owners. Some of them might not like it as much when a, a person like me comes in because I challenge a little further than another coach will because of the fact of having done it, I will push the envelope further. But I tell my clients that in advance. I tell them this is it's going to be a little different than what you're used to. Yes, no doubt about it. Okay, so Sean, look, you did a fantastic job of, of, of kind of telling us about these two companies and how they differentiate themselves from their from the competition. I know that our listeners didn't until they heard from you now, but what we want to do next is I want we want to go through go back maybe even before you founded the lighting company if there's a story there and kind of walk us through the evolution. Probably you do this a lot when you've got a new coaching client, but walk us through that. What, what I'd like you to, to, to be transparent about is some of the major victories that you had along the way, and then also some mistakes, that, one or two mistakes that you made, and then what the lessons learned were. And with your permission, I'll ask for some clarification along the way. Yeah, absolutely. It's I'm not going to go back to you know when I was born because that, that, that'll take too long for this podcast here, Bill. But you know, I will mention that I, when I came out of university, I studied television production and documentary filmmaking. Okay, so I was going to change the world, talking about racism and arranged marriages and, and the Indian culture, and I was really focused on that. And it lasted a month. 
And then I realized, wait a sec, this industry is terrible and there's no money to be made here. So I'm going to get the heck out of this industry. And then I joined Rubbermaid, which a lot of people will know, you know, Newell Rubbermaid is a huge company in the U.S., across North America. And then the family business invited me to join their company. My father-in-law, mother-in-law, and brother-in-law had started a lighting company from scratch. Basically, it took a bankrupt company and they were able to get it listed on the TSX stock exchange in Toronto, which, by the way, no one understands how they did it because you're not supposed to be able to take a bankrupt company and get listed. My father-in-law has some very savvy financial moves and he was able to pull it off. And basically from 1999 to 2007, he was able to grow that business, you know, with a team from nothing to 50 million in revenues. It was a very nice success story, all purely mergers and acquisitions in terms of growth, no organic growth. And you'll see why I'm saying that in a second. Okay. So we had this really great growth coming along the way. I joined the company, the family business in 2004 as a national sales manager. And for three years, I worked as a national sales manager, handling most of the sales of the business. And then 2007, you know, for if you're some of your audience members are young enough to remember, there was a big, pretty big recession that happened in 2007, 2000, 2008 being the peak. And when that happened, there was a company we purchased that we should not have bought out in the U.S. And that combined with the recession, it was a spectacular crash. The company went from 50 million basically down to nothing over the next 18 months, approximately. But the reality is that we could have completely, the recession didn't do it to us, right? It was our business fundamentals that were flawed. We did absolutely did not have any strong processes. We didn't have the right team in place. And the worst part was that we had this massive head office. So imagine you're buying all these individual companies that are very successful and doing really well on their own. And now you're putting them all together, but you have this head office where you have another VP marketing and another VP finance and another VP sales. It was me. And you have all these people, but who's paying for all these people? It's those companies that didn't really need these people that are paying for it. We weren't cutting costs there. We didn't have a strong board of directors. So, you know, what that taught us when we launched the new business was that, you know, you need a completely solid core foundation to your business before you expect to have real lasting success because recessions will come. Uh, uh, Sean, were, 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 your, were there, were there, was, I imagine, I'm guessing there were some family arguments about what you're saying talking about now it, it was a horrible time right yeah, Bill, I mean, you're going through this bankruptcy the, right i imagine i remember that we were my brother-in-law my father-in-law myself around the table and basically we were just saying okay do we have enough money here in this pot to pay for those products to get it to this one client so you can pay us we can pay the supplier and it was just this death uh -huh. triangle of trying to have enough money to pay for the next person's, you know, shipment coming in. And yes, it was just a lot of arguments, but we, we stuck together as a family. It really wasn't oh, a family issue, to be honest with you. You know, mistakes were made, but, you know, we were very young at that time. My partner and I, uh, my, my business, my now business partner, uh, Joey and I, we were both, you know, 28, 27, 28 years old. So we were quite young. So we were relying on our father-in-law, his father, quite a bit for, for you know, guidance and but when the company's falling apart, it's falling apart, you know? So at that point, how much can you do? The thing that happened is that we had an opportunity at that point in 2009 to buy back some of the assets and relaunch the company from scratch. 10 cents on a dollar because no one could have got in there. Like, Bill, you would have walked into this thing. You would have just like ran away as fast as possible. It was such a disgusting mess. But we kind of understood in a mess what was happening. So we said, you know, we can kind of relaunch this business and my father-in-law helped us quite a bit get back on our feet. And then we had, you know, second mortgages on our homes. Very naive. We just, my brother-in-law and I relaunched the business from scratch at that point. 
And that's where Dallas Lighting was founded. And we couldn't even get a bank to get on board with us. Not one bank would support us because of our reputation in the market of what had just happened. And I don't know if you've ever heard of factoring. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, so we, yeah. We don't have we don't have time to explain that to our listeners, but, no, but no, we've a, we've planted a word. Yeah, and, uh, people go look it up. Factoring is not go a fun thing. Yeah, go look it up. If, you, if you're doing factoring, you're in bad position. And then <laughs> we were able to launch the business, and in 2013, we hit another wall, and that's when we launched. You know, we we had our biggest competitor, their non-compete ended, and they basically came after us and copied our 200 products and launched them in the market at a dollar less each, which is completely crazy, but it was the best thing that ever happened to us, Bill, because then we hired our own scaling up coach. And that's where we took the successful journey with scaling up. Beautiful, beautiful. So uh, that, that was a be- wonderfully transparent story. So, so talk about nowadays. So nowadays, what are the, what are the key milestones? Maybe you can talk about how you manage your business. I know, I know you've got a partner, but what's your organization structure look like? Tell us about your management meetings kind of walk us through that area. Absolutely. Well, you know, you you have to practice what you preach, right? So you don't get to say and tell people do all these wonderful things and not do them yourself. So for us, what was really important was building a dream team, which is what we did. You know, and it takes time. You know, there's some small businesses listening to us today. It's not an overnight thing. You know, it took us about five years to get there. And we actually changed 43 out of 50 employees. So we changed over 85% of our team because we had inherited these companies and these teams. And when you start realizing that people don't actually fit your company core values and your cultural, you know, desires, it's really easy to say, you know what, this person cannot stick around with us. They're just not the right person for us. So we had some huge changes on the side of the team for sure. So when, do, when did you establish your core values, your mission and your vision? Was that done right at bankruptcy time? Did you sit down yeah. and hammer that stuff out? Okay. Yeah, great. we were lucky because we were part of the entrepreneurs organization already. Right. My partner and I, so we knew Vern and we knew the organization. We already had a lot of tools that were given to us at that point. So we built a strategic plan from day one, which was very rare. Most companies wait a very few rare. years in before doing it. They always regret it. We actually had the opportunity to build it right from scratch. So that was really good. And they've been the same core values since 2009 as they are today. Never changed once, believe it or not. So that's pretty crazy. So yeah, we built all that stuff all together. And then we started building the team. You know, we had all these ideas that we knew the team was going to look like. We thought what it should look like. But when you start doing the strategic planning process, you start realizing, wait a sec, all these assumptions you've made have been really wrong. For example, we were sure we needed a VP sales. My partner and I said, no, no, we got to hire VP sales. We're going to become the administrators of the business. And by doing the process of scaling up, we came to realize that my partner and I are actually the two absolute best salespeople. And what you really want to have in place is a controller, you know, who's going to be a VP finance eventually and someone to run product development. We got to get out of that. And we just got to be on the road selling, not doing administrative work in the business. And that was huge because as two strong salespeople, that's where we really grew revenue and obviously doing it intelligently as business owners as well along the way. So, uh, so walk us through a typical management meeting. How, how frequently do you have them? Uh, who, who, who sits in the room with you? You mentioned this accountability culture. Kind of walk us through that. Give us a maybe a typical meeting. What's it look like? Yeah. So let me tell you about the structure first. We really follow the scaling up journey. You know, inside out. We're kind of like that. We're very process driven guys. So we said, we're going to do it. Let's do it properly. So you know, the structure is we have a daily huddle. It lasts seven minutes. That's every single person in the entire company is part of at least one daily huddle. So, you know, in that daily huddle, we talk about our good news, what we're working on today, and, you know, if anything's holding us back. So you can imagine that cascade of information, how great it is. 
Then we'll have a weekly management meeting. So a very clear weekly meeting where we talk about customer and employee feedback. We talk about our priorities. We talk about anything, you know, holding us back and, and dealing with those big topics. Then we have our quarterly meetings. So every single quarter, quarter we'll get together for a full day of strategic planning to really rebuild our 90 day plan. And then every year we'll have two full days together as a strategic team where we really, really hammer out our overall vision, long-term, medium-term, and short-term. So that's the actual structure. And what our, what our weekly meetings look like, they're, they're, there's a mix of strategy and execution. They are quite operational. We really, you know, one thing that I don't think companies do enough of is spend time talking about employees and customers. You know, that's something that you should be on top of every single week. What are customers saying about us? What is the market saying? What are we hearing about competitors? You know, what does the industry look like right now? And then getting that internal feedback as well. Are employees complaining? Do they want to unionize? Are they lacking resources? Are they really upset? Is everyone, you know, unhappy? By having that conversation every single week, it really forces you to answer those questions. Because if you don't like what you hear, you got to deal with it no matter what. So that's been very, very effective for us. And then obviously looking at priorities on a weekly basis, it's like taking baby steps, right? Because you do your annual initiatives, you go backwards to 90-day priorities, but when you look at them on a week-to-week basis, we're looking at them as tasks. So it's like, okay, what have you done this week and what will you do for next week? And by looking at it 12 weeks, week over week, all those little tasks get you to the completion of a large priority. And there's so much accountability with that because you can't show up at a weekly management meeting and just say, oh, I haven't done anything. Oh, no, my priority, I'm just ignoring it. It's like, you really look like an idiot, right? So you better show up and you better be, it's game time. You better be on. So even if you're scrambling 30 seconds before the meeting to figure out what it is that you need to accomplish in the next week, the process is forcing you to think about that. So it's very beneficial for the company. So what's uh, what would you say is holding you back right now, middle of 2022? Holding me back, I would say, for me, it's a, it's a very strange thing. It's virtual versus in-person, right? So what I've noticed is that you know, there's been so much online talk, so much virtual talk, and this applies for both businesses, to be honest with you, uh, Bill, there's been so much focus on that. But the reality is that there's still this big element that's not being discussed that much yet, but it's coming back is there is a lot of in-person that's needed. You know, our clients, they come to trade shows, they want to see us, they want to meet with us, they want to feel the product, they want to see it, they want to touch it, you know, so that that's not going away anytime soon. And same thing with the coaching, you know, I have a very geolocalized type model because at one point I was trying to build this online global thing. It's going to be the whole world, but my clients want to see me, you know, and I can't be getting on a flight to Tokyo or getting a flight to Berlin every week. You know, I, I much prefer to just be working in my own backyard. There's plenty of businesses locally. And so there is this major shift that needs to be looked at. It's not always the solution to go digital. It's not always a solution to go virtual. I think people have to realize that there is still a human component in life that we can't forget about. To me, that's very important that a lot of people are ignoring these days. So uh, tell us, how can our, our various listeners get a hold of you? So best place to find me at uh, two places. Uh, email's great. So Sean at elevationleaders.com. Uh, you'll find me there. And LinkedIn, you know, I spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn. So Sean Johal, I'm the only one I've noticed on there. So that's uh, good news. You'll, you'll be able to type that in and you'll find me there on LinkedIn and we can hook up there as well. Beautiful. So uh, tell me, what's the one question that you were thinking, gee, Bill should be asking me blank. So what is that question, Sean? And what's the answer to the unasked question? So the unasked question would be, uh, why am I so obsessed with happiness? 
Um, you know, that, that would be the question. I spent a lot of time on it, wrote a book on the topic and how it affects. And, you know, the, the quick and short answer is that Sean's my second name. My real name is actually Sukraj. And in Indian, that actually means the happy leader. And that's oh, why I great. named the book that way. And I don't know if it's chicken and the egg thing. You know, was it because I was named that way or did I fall into that? You know, to me, one thing that we're not spending enough time on is mental health. You know, entrepreneurs are just going at 150 miles per hour, sacrificing energy, time, their families, you know, a lot of their life to build a business. It doesn't have to be that way. I've done it. I've been stressed out. I've been burnt out. And, you know, in our newer, you know, lighting business in the last 10 years, my partner and I put a huge focus on work-life balance. You go to our office, you know, 5.07 p.m. Eastern time, you're you're not going to find anybody. You know, by five o'clock, you may find one or two people lingering, but we encourage people to leave on time to get back to their families. You know, family is a huge priority for us. You know, get to the gym, work out, eat properly. We're promoting that there and the entrepreneurs and teams I work with, you know, in our sessions, we do visualization, we do meditation, we do special breathing techniques. And I'm not only trying to help them grow their businesses, I'm actually trying to help them extend their lives because I think it's wildly important. I think people think you have to sacrifice that, but you don't. No, you don't. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. So, Sean, thanks a lot. Enjoyed your wisdom today. Great. Yeah, thanks a lot, Bill. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Now, look, everybody, in closing, let's focus on a single fact, and that is that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as the result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset of a dedication to a system of management, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. So thanks for listening, Sean. Once again, thanks for sharing your time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill.